This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Welcome to The Feed News Magazine. I'm Ann Romer. On the show, remembering the Broncos bus crash victims, a tribute to eco-warrior Bob Hunter, and all aboard a three-year cruise. But we begin with the dollars and cents of this week's federal budget. So let's begin with your personal money matters. Are you feeling poorer than you did, say, three years ago? Well, you're not alone. It's all because of, yeah, inflation. And here's a disheartening example or two. If someone had earned $50,000 a year since 2020, due to the record high inflation that we are experiencing, that person is actually bringing home the equivalent of $44,466, losing close to $5,500 in income. So... Let's try 80 grand a year. You'd be bringing in 71,000 and again losing more money than you'd like to think about. Here to help us make sense of our money woes is Janet Gray. She is advice only certified financial planner with Money Coaches Canada. Janet, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us. I'm happy to be here. So, inflation seems to be the bane of everyone's existence. How is it that inflation is the culprit in this case where people are earning a certain amount, they're not getting raises the past three years, but they're bringing home less every year? It feels like they're bringing home less. I mean, they actually are bringing home probably the same amount after taxes, but it's when they go to spend it that they're not able to buy as much for that money. So, it feels like it's less, but you know, if you look at the actual numbers, it's, it's the same but it's because it costs them, you know, 30% more to buy groceries or 40% more to buy something else and, and real estate. So, you know, don't get me started, but, but it, really, it, really has, it really has compromised their spending um, room. Why are so many of us feeling poorer now than we did three years ago? I think it's, it's because it's a constant drip. It's kind of like, okay, you know, Prices have been higher for a little bit. I can deal with that. Oh, they're still high. Oh, they're still, still high. I think it's just kind of, it's, it's become overwhelming. And it's, it's, we, are, we are feeling it. It's just not a temporary thing. It's been a couple of years where we've been dealing with this. So people are having to make some hard choices now, and they're feeling the pain. Some might say, well, you know, if you're not getting a raise with your current job and you haven't had one for several years, why don't you go out and get a different job, another job? Is is that good advice? Well, doesn't that sound easy? Yeah, it's not, but it's not <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's not. It's not something I, that people can readily do. But you know, I have I have spoken about this topic before, and I suggested that maybe they look at first of all, can they further reduce their own expenses? Because that's totally in their control. They can actually spend less. People don't realize where they're spending in in kind of a, a, a reactive way or an impulsive way. So if they can control their expenses, Expenses, that's, that's good. The other part of it is they, don't, they can't always control how much they're earning because there's often a ceiling on it or, or the employer can't afford to give them more. Could they get a side job? Absolutely. Could the side job be enough to complement the spending on their groceries? Those kind of things. They can do that too, but it takes time. It takes effort. We don't always have that opportunity in our life, in our time, to be able to do those things. And not everybody wants to work an additional couple of days. You know, it is from a five-day week, a work week to a seven-day work week, it's very tough. Janet, is there any sense in asking your employer for increased benefits in, instead of a raise, which if you've asked and they've said no? I think you could. I mean, it's a good conversation to have in principle. It depends on, you know, who your employer is and how, how sympathetic they maybe are to your situation or just to the, the entire environment. 
I think it's, it's good to say that I'm finding it's, it's tough right now to make ends meet. Could I have more time off? You know, could I have some paid leave to do some caregiving? Do, could I have extra, you know, my, my vacation pay paid differently or something? It's, it's a good conversation to initiate. I don't know that I put a lot of optimistic um, faith in that, that it, it's going to be the thing that's going to solve my problems. Again, back to what you can control, you can control your spending. So if you did look for a second job, and we like to call it a side hustle, what would be suggestions on your part that might make sense, dollars and cents? Yes. I, I think a lot of it can, you know, if, you, if you're going to look for a side hustle, then maybe you want to find something that is um, pleasure, pleasurable or that you have a skill in. So if you love dogs, Maybe you can work at a dog kennel for the weekend. If you love, you know, flowers, maybe you can work in a garden center. So, you know, the more enjoyable you can make that side hustle, then it's kind of like you're getting paid to have this fun time anyway. So that's, that's more exciting than it is. I've got this really high-pressure side, side hustle that is just, you know, really cramping my, my mental abilities or, you know, my, my mood. Maybe that's not the one for you. But I would say to find something you, you like doing anyway and then see if you can find a way to have it paid. You've been quoted as saying that it's important to go back to basics. You've even said it now. And to ask yourself what you need instead of what you want. So let's review the must-haves versus the wants. And how important is it to make a list like that? Must-haves, wants. It's, it's difficult to sort of come to terms with yourself on your money matters. It is. And, and this is something that I, I talk to people about even before COVID, before recession, before interest rates, it's a fundamental of your financial um, basics is know what you can afford to spend. And the way you can do that is say, okay, here's a list of my, my needs, um, housing, uh, taxes, utility bills, food on the table. That, those are things that you need to, like, to live. Um, the things that you can choose to set, you know, set aside for now that you can minimize, um, the treats that we give each other, you know, that we give ourselves, um, specialty coffees, manicures, pedicures, some holidays, most holidays, um, you know, upgrading your car, buying a new home. Those are all things, again, that are in our control. We're not forced to do any of those. They won't actually, um, they're not a, a life essential. They are a want. And those kind of things you can push aside. What we, what's happened over time, you know, thank you, marketing and consumerism, is it's possibly merged those two things together. So the things that we wanted are now perceived as a need. I must have it. Um, and it doesn't take you long, to, you know, once you're on social media to find out that they want us to want things. So it, it really takes some discipline and some, some personal awareness and uh, a, kind of a, a scan of your environment to find out what those things are that you need versus the wants. If you are lucky enough to have purchased a home and you did it when things were, you know, a little bit lower and a little bit uh, easier to, uh, to realize your dream than they are today, if you do have a home, if you do have a, an investment in, in your home, and a lot of people think of that uh, as a really good investment, is there any way you can make your home, your investment work for you? I think so. There, there, there's, if you're working from home, of course, you can, uh, and, and you're an employee, then you have the option to deduct some of your home expenses, some of your utility bills, because you are using your home as working space. So you have that, which is helpful. You could um, have someone move into your home and help you cover the cost. 
you could um, use possibly some of the equity in your home, and that would involve having a conversation with a lender, banker, or a mortgage broker um, to see if there's a way that you can leverage that. So you're, in that case, you're kind of borrowing from yourself. It's not really creating additional income, but you're borrowing from the uh, building that you live in, which is your investment. So not quite the same, but you could use your home for holding concerts. I've seen people have kitchen concerts oh. through COVID. You know, so there, there are ways. It's really get creative, you know, and just think outside of our regular box, which in times of hardships and, and challenges is even harder to do because our brains just aren't, you know, open to those things. And is it fair that we are going through these troubled economic times, that, that these are times of financial hardship for so many Canadians? You know, we've just survived a pandemic, for heaven's sake. No, absolutely. I mean, who knew that these were going to be some of the side effects of, you know, a a pandemic and we've never experienced this before. So it really, it really pays to be a little more resilient, a little more open-minded, a little more caring of our, of our community, because sometimes the help that you need is just there for the asking. But maybe, maybe because of our isolation, we're not open to asking people, you know, is there a way that you can help me or can you help me discuss this through so I can make a better decision? I think it really, we need to kind of push through that if we can and reach out a little bit more and maybe we'll have a, you know, a better, a better final outcome than we would have if we hadn't done that. Janet, can we talk about the elephant in the room? And that is food, inflation, groceries, the budget earlier this week. So let's start with the budget. There was something called a grocery rebate. We're calling it that. I don't think that the government calls it that. $2.5 billion they say will help 11 million Canadians. What do you think of this grocery rebate? Well, you, you know, it, it's kind of underwhelming, if I can mm-hmm. use that term. It, the average family of four, for example, uh, it was a study done for 2023, the average family of four, two parents, two kids, spends $1,357 um, a month on groceries. Wow. So on the grocery rebate, they would get $467, which is 34%, which, you know, uh, you know, so it buys them 10 days worth of groceries, and then what, right? Because this is a one-time rebate as far as we know. A single person gets $234. So it, you know, it's, some, it's something. Is it, it's, is it going to plug the hole in the bucket? No. And, and you know, I, I think it's, it's kind of a, a political move. Obviously it is. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be enough. And it's not giving people the, um, the tools. It's not saying to them, okay, here's a, here's a hand out. But it's not giving them a hand up in terms of giving them some tools on here's how you can save on your groceries. Here's the places that you can talk to professionals. Like, I don't think there was enough of an education piece with that money. It was just kind of strictly uh, plug the hole for a little bit. Speaking of how to buy groceries and advice on how to do that, have you any advice? And I know that sounds really basic and really simple, but there are some strategies when you go to buy groceries that will make a difference and will make your money go a lot further than you would think. I think, and as a planner, I will say this, you need a plan. Yeah. And a plan involves making a list, whether you do your phone or an app or on a piece of paper, you need a, a, a list of what you're planning to buy. And once you have that, or the way that you can make that list is to look at the flyers again, online or paper, and say, oh, look at this item on the front page. It's so deeply discounted. I think I'll buy two of those instead of maybe the one I was planning on buying. And then you build your meals around that. So you're trying to shop the specials, usually on the front page of, of the flyers. 
or when you go into a store, instead of getting this one that's not on sale and this one is on sale, then okay, we're not having this item for dinner, we're having that item. Have a plan, have a certain amount of money, and, and it's quickly to go, you know, you quickly go over the amount you plan to spend in a grocery store, so maybe you might even switch to a gift card and say, I'm going to buy $150 worth of gift cards, that's what I'm taking into the grocery store with me, and once the gift card is gone, then I'm starting to take stuff off the conveyor belt, right? So it really does limit you so you don't overspend because, of course, it's easy, especially if you're shopping with kids, of course, it's easy to go out of bounds and then you go, oh, why did I buy that? <laughs> and and it's, it's really, if you can kind of plan on all the things that will throw you off track, then you're kind of already um, mitigating the, the risk by having that, that in mind. If this happens, then I will do this. If this happens, I'll do that. And just plan. That's the big key takeaway, I think, plan interesting that there are some really simple tips that I remember when I was growing up being told, don't shop when you're hungry, try to buy in bulk, uh, go for generic products if possible. But I did a little digging and I found a couple of other suggestions that that really made my head spin. (laughs) One of them is make them pay for your business. So I'm, I'm assuming that means the grocer. Make them pay for your business. What does that mean? I think it probably means taking advantage of their rewards cards, taking advantage of their loss leaders, which again are those items on the front page, um, making sure that you know you are buying the items that are on sale. So you're kind of cutting into their profits, unfortunately for them, but good for you because you're buying stuff that they're they're taking a loss on just to get you in the store. So you will buy the full profit products. So it, it kind of helps you to have good shopping habits that way. Um, when we're shopping in, in, in a hurry or with limited money or with kids, <laughs> sometimes we aren't always able to make those good decisions. Here's another one. Earn back what you spend. Yeah, I think that's talking about the rewards cards or if you have a, a credit card that gives you cash back. Um, and some of them are quite popular, especially in a couple of the larger chains where every time you shop you get points and, and you can accumulate them and you get these big cash backs. Sometimes people don't recycle that money back into it. So they spend a lot on groceries, they get a cash back, and they spend that cash back on something possibly frivolous or discretionary rather than putting it back into their basic spending. So I would suggest if they get those points is to circle them back and put them where they're they're feeling the pinch the hardest right now, which is groceries. Before we go, one last word from you. You are part of Money Coaches Canada. You're an advice-only financial planner. You've given great advice so far. Let's project it to the future, into the future. Do you think there will come a time in the near future, Janet, that we won't be feeling as poor as we are today? I think so. I have great faith in the banking system in Canada and the Bank of Canada. Um, They're trying to get the inflation rate under control. That's their main objective. And I think, uh, hopefully, I I hope that, that this will actually give us some literacy less, financial literacy on our spending habits, and maybe at the end of this, even though there's been some pain points along the way and some challenges and some unhappiness for, you know, of course, for some people with lower incomes, is that maybe there is some learning that we've all done as a society that we can show our kids there is a better way to do this, there's a less stressful way to do this, and, you know, maybe it'll, it'll work out that way. I hope. I hope. Janet Gray, Money Coaches Canada, thank you so much for giving us your time on the feed. My pleasure. 
The Retail Council is suggesting there was not enough in the budget to make life more affordable for Canadian families. Tina Cortez now with that story. The Retail Council of Canada suggests the federal budget earlier this week missed the mark. To explain, Carl Littler, SVP of Public Affairs. Welcome to the show, Carl. Thanks for having me on. All right, so let's get right to it. What is the explanation? Why do you think the federal government missed the mark with this budget? So there's not uh, everything in the budget that we dislike. It's just the absence of of some items. And, And sort of one of them, I think the easiest way to explain it is there are a couple of things that the government could have done to put some real flesh on the bones of its uh, rhetorical commitment to affordability. And uh, one of them deals with uh, credit card acceptance fees, and the other one is uh, what are called customs duties. And they are both sort of hidden charges on consumers. So I'll I'll talk first about the credit card acceptance fees. Every time somebody uses a credit card, um, the merchant takes a haircut, and that money goes to uh, to the cardholder's bank. And that's a big, big ticket item in Canada these days. It's actually over $10.1 billion last year. So there are about 15 million households in the country. So just to understand how much that's actually costing consumers, that's about 600 bucks per household, and it's rising rapidly. It's actually going up at about 6% a year. So uh, in about five years' time, it'll be $800 per house. That's a lot of money that's being spent paying banks credit card fees. And the government said it was going to act on that. It painted the issue in the corner, and it basically touched on only about one and a half to two percent of the issue, and left the other ninety-eight percent untouched. So that was a big miss, as far as we're concerned, with respect to saving consumers' money. And the second reason is that whenever consumer goods are imported, but for especially uh, clothing and footwear, there's a tariff that's applied by the Canadian government. And that tariff is actually uh, adds up to $6 billion a year. So that's about another $400 per Canadian household that affects people when they're buying most consumer goods, but particularly bites them when they're buying clothes and, uh, and shoes. And because they're hidden in the price, hidden by government essentially, because they level the tax when it actually enters the market, um, you think about that, that's 1000 bucks per home that they could, on average, that they could have put back into Canadians' pockets. And that's why we really think that they've missed the mark. Now, another item that I understand you were disappointed about and not to see was the creation of a visitor rebate. What was that all about? So one of the challenges that the tourism sector has had is attracting people to Canada. And obviously some of that was disrupted by the the pandemic. But, you know, we're very proud of, of Canada as a tourist destination. But the reality is that Canada isn't competitive with the rest of the world as far as, um, as, as rebating sales tax paid by visitors. And so if you travel to Europe, if you, even if you go to some U.S. jurisdictions, most places in the world, they will refund the sales tax to you um, because, of course, you're not really consuming much in the way of local services, and that's also an added incentive to bring in a lot of tourists. Canada is one of the unique countries in the world that has a a value-added tax, in our case, the GST, but doesn't um, actually return it to tourists when they leave. And the the, the problem there is that it's much more attractive to shop in other countries than it is to shop in Canada. And so, you know, people come, you know, know, to tourism destinations for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's the scenery. Sometimes it's, you know, concert events. There's a multitude of reasons why people would go. Obviously, you know, some countries it's culture and architecture and so on. 
Canada does have some unique attractions, but it, it actually detracts from its own offering by being one of the few countries in the world that doesn't have this rebate. The U.S. doesn't have it to the same degree either, but the difference is the U.S. doesn't have a federal sales tax in the first place, so they have nothing to refund. So that's the, uh, that's the problem, and you know we've urged the government to do this. It would bring in a lot more tourists. Um, that would be good for retailers, obviously, because people buy stuff, but it's also good for airlines, good for hotels, good for people who work in restaurants, other aspects of the tourist industry. Hmm. Now, if I understand this correctly, the Retail Council of Canada represents small, medium, and large retail businesses. So how did business fare in terms of the budget? Did they get the help they needed? I think it's a pretty business-neutral budget in many ways. I mean, there were some tax measures that were aimed at loopholes and that kind of stuff, and there will be some people uh, who will complain about that. Um, you know, there, were, there was not really a lot of direct help for business unless you were in one of the government's specialty areas like, um, you know, green energy promotion or that kind of thing. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say that it was a punitive uh, budget for business, but it wasn't, you know, a wildly encouraging one either. And can you give us sort of a, a state of affairs in terms of the retail industry? How is retail doing? Is that brick-and-mortar store going to survive? And what about the impact of, you know, we're seeing Nordstrom and Bed Bath & Beyond move out and Zellers move back in. What do you think about the current state of retail? So, I mean, retail is always in flux. And, um, and, and the sort of the death knell of, uh, of the uh, bricks-and-mortar store has been told way too early. Um, you know, there's actually some recovery in bricks-and-mortar post-pandemic. Now, now, the reality is that the level of online shopping is higher post-pandemic than it was pre-pandemic. Uh, and this, of course, has been rising for years. But it doesn't fundamentally, um, you know, it doesn't fundamentally cancel out the appeal that uh, bricks and mortar stores have for a lot of consumers. It's just the, they, they have to kind of coexist, not necessarily peacefully. They have to coexist with, I guess, a creative tension where, where you know, online is trying to attract customers and they're trying to, you know, improve things with their service offering and their speedy delivery because obviously you can, you know, buy on the spot in bricks and mortar. Bricks and mortar has to make sure that they have enough product selection. There's what they call omni-channel, which is, you know, really sort of offering in across all levels, including e-commerce and including bricks and mortar. You know, things like buy online, pick up in store, some of that moves to address it, and that gives customers a more tactile experience. So generally speaking, retail is doing okay, Broad, you know, and that's broadly speaking. Some areas have had particular challenges. You can imagine what it was like being a luggage store during the pandemic when, you know, uh, travel was not allowed. Um, you know, so, so it, it is variable a little bit by sector. And some parts, particularly clothing, have taken a while to come back. If, if people aren't going to work in, in sort of business attire or business casual and they're wearing sweats, well, that affects that part of the industry. You know, so it, it really does depend on what part of retail you're talking about. But generally speaking, it is recovering. Um, with respect to the withdrawal of some of the U.S. players, I mean, we, we, we've sort of seen this movie before, right? Target entered the market with big fanfare and mm-hmm. pulled out. Um, Lowe's came in, snapped up Rona. Um, and, and it is now sort of offloading those assets, so they're not all closing, but there's the, you know, they've, they've, they've sort of got their fingers burned a bit and they've, they're, you know, they're pulling back. Um, and they're a great outfit, uh, just generally speaking, around the world. Um, 
Others kind of overinvest and don't necessarily understand the Canadian market. There's a tendency, and I'm not saying it's true of these companies, but there's a tendency among some U.S. Uh, retailers to see Canada as just a northward extension of the um, U.S. market, and it's not. It has very specific tastes. It has um, different population concentrations, uh, significantly so, than, than in the U.S., um, it has different climatic conditions and so forth. And so people who just treat Canada as being, you know, 10% more U.S. Uh, are not going to necessarily fare very well. Carl, if our listeners want more information about the Retail Council of Canada, where can they find it? Well, they can find it on our website, which is uh, retailcouncil.ca, um, and, uh, and then through great shows like this that actually uh, give us the opportunity to... Uh, you know, talk directly to uh, to Canadians, talk directly to consumers. Thank you so much for your time and expertise, Carl. We appreciate it. According to the Canadian Climate Institute, the federal budget's commitment to heavily investing in Canada's clean energy economy will mean more jobs, greater affordability and increased growth, while at the same time ensuring that our country does not fall behind in the global race to net zero. Rick Smith is the president of the Canadian Climate Institute. He's also our guest right now on the feed. Welcome to the show, Rick. Thanks so much, Ann. Uh, pleasure to be here. Were there some champagne corks popped earlier this week when you <laughs> heard the, the heard your good news on the budget? Well, we we were we were pleased. Uh, we uh, we had suggested to the federal government uh, with our research that a number of the things that wound up in the budget uh, uh, should be there. They were. Uh, so we're we're delighted, and uh, you know I think it's good news for. Canadians and for our economy. Can you please explain to us exactly what the budget promises to do for Canada's green energy economy? Sure. Well, let's let's just uh, let's just. I, w- I want to underline at the outset that uh, these days, uh, good climate policy is good economic policy. I mean, the, the global economy is in the middle of uh, what's been called the biggest transformation since the Industrial Revolution. Uh, this is being driven by the realities of climate change, uh, the extreme weather that we're seeing around the world, the need to respond economically, uh, and the need to start making manufactured goods like cars and, uh, and uh, different industrial processes. Uh, these things need to be low carbon from now on. And so coincidentally this week, just as one example of the kind of change we're seeing, uh, Europe uh, voted to ban the sale of uh, gasoline-powered cars uh, after 2035, uh, which is, you know, in terms of car model years, uh, only a few, only a few years away. So, incredible transformations happening. Uh, the United States recently uh, adopted this Inflation Reduction Act that's uh, that's created a whole new series of tax incentives to to uh, create a new generation of U.S. manufacturing. We thought it was very important that Canada respond, that our federal government respond, and it did. So, so this, this budget earlier in the week uh, established a series of uh, investment tax credits to try to, to, try to lure uh, new mining, uh, new uh, types of uh, manufacturing investment to Canada versus other countries. The federal government committed to dramatically expanding uh, electricity supply across the country, very important. There are, there are a number of key key uh, things that happened earlier this week. Clean energy is really the name of the game when it comes to investment uh, in this global economy. 
Uh, we know that uh, in order to limit the, the worst damage from climate change, that, uh, that we need to reach net zero by 2050. Uh, that means that the carbon emissions need to come down dramatically between now and then. Uh, and the, the kind of cornerstone of this transformation, uh, as we start to uh, electrify everything, I mean, we see it with, with cars, for instance. I mean, before too long, uh, all of us will be uh, driving electric vehicles. And as I mentioned earlier, Europe has actually put a date on that, 2035. You, you won't be able to buy a gasoline-powered car in Europe. And so as we all start plugging things into the wall, as opposed to running them on liquid fuel, uh, by our estimates, uh, we're going to need to about double electricity supply in Canada, and we're going to make we're going to need to make sure that all of that new supply uh, doesn't emit carbon. And so, what that means is more sources of electricity, uh, wind, solar, uh, other sources that are that are uh, non-emitting of pollution. Uh, so, there's a huge building project to do. Lots of jobs uh, in the offing to build out uh, our clean, uh, clean energy, clean electricity supply, you know, in the next uh, decade or two. And where does the term green technology fit into all of this? Well, again, the, the, the name of the game is uh, clean, is net zero. Uh, uh, most big investors these days are looking for uh, a net zero energy supply uh, in order to locate in a country, in a, in, a, in a particular jurisdiction. And so we've seen this in Ontario, for instance, uh, in the last few weeks, where VW has announced that it will build it, the first, uh, its first battery plant outside of Europe in St. Thomas, Ontario. And the reason that it's locating there uh, is because uh, Ontario is guaranteeing VW uh, a certain level of uh, clean electricity, uh, uh, um, a source of uh, critical minerals, um, and, and a series of other incentives. So the, the idea behind or, you know, the kind of name uh, green economy or green electricity refers to uh, the fact that, that all of these activities can't from now on emit carbon. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and in constructing that new kind of economy, uh, there are big opportunities for Canada. The budget also clarified the role of the Canada Infrastructure Bank. How important is that? Uh, very important. Uh, the, the, Canada, the federal government has said that uh, with its existing resources and a top-up of resources that the Canada Infrastructure Bank, one of its focuses from now on will be on building out clean electricity supply across the country. And, and not just uh, the, the um, installations, the, the power plants to create that energy, but also the transmission corridors to get that electricity where it needs to go. There's different parts of the country in the Atlantic, for instance, where new transmission corridors are needed to, um, to move clean electricity from one province to another. There are opportunities to do this all across the country. Uh, so the, the creation of... Um, new transmission uh, is as, as big a priority for the Canada Infrastructure Bank as the creation of new electricity supply. So we, we think that focus for the bank is a really healthy one. I noticed on your Twitter feed, the CCI's Twitter feed, uh, last Tuesday that you said budget 2023 is a chance to make life in Canada healthier safer and more affordable while supporting strong climate policy. That's massive. 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're positive about, about these changes. And, and not just, listen, not just because we need to do this for our economy writ large to be competitive in the world, but also because a lot of these changes are going to make life better for Canadians. So as, as one example, um, we've done, we've done some, some analysis. And, and as, more of our, as more of the energy that Canadians use becomes electrified, over the next uh, few years, that's actually going to start saving Canadians money because uh, we know that electricity um, compared to other types of fuel is lower cost, is much less volatile uh, because it's usually produced here in Canada. It's not, you know, the prices of electricity are not subject to foreign wars, uh, the actions of foreign, uh, you know, conglomerates, electricity is produced in Canada. (laughs) So the, this notion of electrifying our lives, uh, uh, powering more of our economy with electricity, is actually going to lower costs for Canadians uh, um, directly. And so there's, there's a good news story here in terms of jobs, in terms of the pocket, pocketbooks of Canadians, and in terms of bringing down the pollution levels. As individual Canadians listening right now, what can we do on an individual basis to make this work? Um, well, I think, I think a lot of Canadians are already, uh, especially as our communities are being impacted by the obvious effects of climate change, flooding, wildfires. I mean, we see this right across the country, unfortunately, um, in many parts of our country. Each spring now, uh, some flooding is almost assured. So... Canadians, we know, are more concerned about climate change than ever. Um, and so the, as consumers, there are always greener alternatives that we can, uh, that we can purchase. Uh, and uh, and I, think, I think, frankly, this federal, this federal budget deserves support. And this, uh, you know, the biggest thing I'm hoping from, for, uh, from Canadians is some openness mm. to this notion that uh, we want to be competitive in the world. We want to be competitive with the United States for our kids' future. Uh, and uh, and this type of clean growth uh, strategy is the way to do it. Well, here's to a greener, cleaner, and better future. Rick Smith, President of the Canadian Climate Institute, thank you so much for joining us on the feed. Thank you, Anne. Coming up next, remembering the Broncos. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. Next week marks the somber anniversary of the Humboldt Broncos bus crash. Jim Lang with the Green Shirt Day in memory of Logan Boulay. The date, April 6, 2018, is a day that is burned into the memory of all Canadians because of the tragic bus crash with the Humboldt Broncos junior hockey team. But the next day, April 7th, is even more important right now because that led to something called Green Shirt Day, a day to spread awareness about organ donation all across Canada. Thrilled to be joined by Toby Bollet. Unfortunately, he lost his son Logan that day, but through Logan's selflessness, has created an incredible groundswell of support for organ donation in this country. Toby, how are you? Good morning, Jim. Great this morning. A little bit of snow, but things are good in Alberta. Uh, that That's good. Um, it is amazing to me, uh, out of the darkness of the bus accident and everything that happened and the, the, the loss for 
you and your wife and your family, what the, the legacy of Logan Boulay and the Green Shirt Day. And I mean, we're talking into hundreds of thousands of more registered donors in this country, potentially saving lives every day in Canada. It's, it's just, it's surreal to my wife and I and our daughter, Mariko, that Logan's impact has been so large. He would have had an amazing impact had he gone to university to be a teacher like he was planning to do, and he was accepted at U of L, but that didn't happen. So the impact is just different, and it just we just I don't know. We just sometimes think that we're providing hope to individuals and families desperately needing an organ transplant. We've been told many times by when we speak by transplant recipients, they just tell us how much the local effect has done just that, it's given them hope. And so I I don't know, it's just surreal at many times. Well, Toby, I'm sure you and your family and other people were just not aware of just how dire of a need it is for organ donation in Canada. I mean, speaking to you previously, I had my eyes wide open. I'm like, I just thought there was tons of organs for donation, but there isn't in this country. No, there isn't. And we're like, we were like anybody else. We signed our donor, our black and our driver's license in Alberta 30 years ago and thought we were organ donors. I registered and of course we weren't. And after Logan passed, we realized, oh, you have to do something different. And, yeah, it's just there's people, 200-plus people die every year waiting for a transplant. Um, yeah, we, I talked to a car dealership owner, a friend of mine, the other day, and he said, oh, yeah, well, I'm registered. Well, are you? He said, well, I got my license. I said, no, that doesn't count him. What? I said, no, they changed Alberta about four years ago. Really? I didn't know that. So he has to go get a change, do it online. Now, this year is, is a very special uh, commemoration of Green Shirt Day on April 7th. Um, someone who was touched by the, the Logan Boulay effect and ended up getting a kidney donation, uh, Brandy Hine, has designed this beautiful shirt in commemoration of Green Shirt Day that really takes it to the next level, Toby. Brandy is an amazing, special person. After the first Green Shirt Day, or during the buildup, she bought a shirt online, obviously, and she did a private little video of herself sitting there on a stool and just talked about Green Shirt Day. And since that time, we've been friends. And she... Yeah. Well, she she ended up getting a, a much needed kidney she needed because of the public awareness of Green Shirt Day. But she can't be the only one that you and your family have run into over the years, Toby. No, she's no, she's not. Actually, she had a double. She had a, a liver transplant, and the pills she takes are so aggressive that it destroyed one of her kidneys. So she had to get a kidney transplant. There's an and that's why she has a kidney transplant. But yes, we've met many people that come up to us, and also we've had. I keep track, I guess that's not probably morbid in a way, but seven families have reached out to us some way, somehow over the years that their child registered to be an organ donor after Logan crashed after these deaths, sorry, and now their son or daughter have passed away. Well, so that, they, that impact is massive. Oh, it really is, and that's why it's the hashtag Logan Belay effect, and uh, according to Canadian Blood Services, nearly 150,000 Canadians registered to be donors in the two months after learning about Logan Belay have signed their donor card. That's, that is making a significant impact into the lives of thousands of Canadians when you talk about that many people actually getting out there and being a proper organ donor. It's exactly what it is. And their first estimate was 100,000, and then they realized that that's not accurate because only six provinces had online registration, so they're literally guessing. Saskatchewan itself doesn't, didn't have online registration until a couple of years ago, so they had to guess based upon the number of phone calls and requests and all kinds of things in Saskatchewan. So the number is most likely higher in the first couple of months. And since that time, it's obviously grown. There's been lots of registrations attributed to Logan, but 
can't really keep track because there's nowhere, no box to tick. And it doesn't really matter. We just want people to be inspired by somebody, your grandfather. It doesn't matter who your grandmother, your best friend, and have the conversation. Think it over. Be inspired and register. I'm going to quote someone from a, a noted doctor in Western Canada, and he's an advisor for Canadian Blood Services about donating organs for people. He said, bless the Boulay family for what they've done in Logan's honor because because of the work of you and your family um, in honor of Logan, it's it, it, it's making this country a better place. Yes, it is. It's You know, we get asked, told many times, it's like Terry Fox. We're like, no, it's not like Terry Fox. Terry Fox made a decision. He went out. He did something. Logan made a decision with never had any intention of becoming an organ donor at 21, but the impact of individuals that they can make on society in a positive way is tremendous. Obviously, there's the other side of the impact individuals can make negatively, but Logan, he gave what he could give. That was awesome. I agree, Toby. I know it must be a difficult anniversary on April the 6th and 7th for you and your family. I'm is it a quiet day for you? Are you going to go to Humboldt? Do you get together with other surviving families? What happens on that day? We went to Humboldt April 6th the first year, and then we didn't go. And then we flew back that on the 7th of the morning. We, we like to hold a, well, we do hold a Green Shirt Day family free public skate. And then, of course, during COVID, it got shut down. But we're, we're back at it last year. And then this year, it's going to be actually at the Logan Bully Arena at 1 o'clock on, on April 7th. So we're pretty excited about that. We do things. It's... It's, it's odd, Jim, because April 6th is a, a very sad day in our house, but April 7th is not as sad because it's like a celebration. We meet people, we have escape, we go out, we talk to people. They're excited to be there. A lot of family and friends come, a lot of friends. People we don't know bring their children. We get about 250 skaters every year. The three years we've held it, the two years of COVID, we couldn't. But we're expecting a pretty big crowd this year at Logan's Arena, and we have lots of stuff to do, so it'll be fun. It must be a, a, a great feeling to know that, I mean, despite the tragedy, um, you've probably been, have uh, people in the NHL, people you don't know, people involved in hockey, people involved that don't even know anything about hockey, that just are another family that lost someone that reached out to you. Did, did you ever realize that you had that much support in your life till after Logan's passing? We never realized that, no, that we had that much support and that many families have that. They just... I don't know. It's, we, we know it's because of the humble Bronco tragedy. Many people pass in tragedies and donate their organs, and they just get a little line on, on obituary. But Logan's was a national scope, and the support we've received is tremendous, and that's one of the things that keeps us moving forward is that we're always met by people. When we spoke in London, Ontario last fall, we, we met, were met by many, many people. we just amazed. And they meet us in green. They wear green shirt. They shirts to events under their nice blazer just to be part of it it's kind of cool in a way you know that that's our son that they're talking about i think it's more than cool i think it's incredible canada york region ontario green shirt day april 7th please wear your green shirt you can uh, get your green shirts online just about anywhere use the hashtag in social media post a photo of your green shirt hashtag logan belay effect hashtag lb27 Create a groundswell of awareness and make sure you are a true registered organ donor in this country. Do it for the Belay family. Do it for Logan Belay and everyone who is part of the Humboldt Broncos. Uh, Toby, as always, it is an absolute honor. Anytime I speak to you, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very much, Jim, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak. 
over now to Kevin Frankish with the new book honoring the life of eco-warrior Bob Hunter. He was a friend the world needed, literally. Bob Hunter helped to found the influential environmental group Greenpeace. He often put himself in harm's way between whaling trawlers and their fragile prey. He then used his voice to fight for this planet for years on television and in the political arena. I had the great honor of working with Bob at City TV for several years before his untimely passing in 2005. Mr. Mind Bomb, eco hero and Greenpeace co-founder Bob Hunter, A Life in Stories, is a new book that has just been released, edited by his wife, Bobby Hunter, who also happens to be a co-founder of Greenpeace. And she joins me right now. Hi, Bobby. How are you? Hi, Kevin. I'm just great. Uh, it is true, isn't it? He, he was a friend the earth needed. I should have changed that to the earth needed. Well, you know what? I think he was uh, um, a really a spokesperson for the earth. Um, to me, you know, Bob was uh, like a force of nature. I broke when I did this book, I, I broke it into four sections and it was all about uh, being a force of nature. Um, and I described it as a, like almost like a, a volcano, uh, you know, <laughs> erupting and eventually flowing, and eventually um, it became part of the crust of the earth. What um, what are we going to see in this book? Now, it it says that it is a a, um, a life in stories. Tell me what we're going to see inside the pages here. Well, you know, uh, Kevin, it's, it's a, it's a, it was a joy to put this book together. Um, Actually, I started a, a different book. Uh, Bob wrote a book that never got published, and it was sort of the beginning of the COVID uh, uh, lockdown. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to get that book published. So I transcribed it, and I, and I put it out to a vanity publishing uh, uh, company, and it's out there, and it's called Long Way to the Horizon. It's a beautiful three-generational Canadian saga. So there was that book that was done. And then I'm going, now what do I do with myself? <laughs> I, thought, I thought, you know what? I'm going to write a book about Bob. But my daughter, who also has written a book, she had done a, a, a book about uh, environmental heroes. Um, and she did an anthology. And I thought, you know, I'm going to do this as an anthology. I'm going to have many voices. And then I, I uh, put an appeal out to people that are, were the spectrum of Bob's life, and everybody wanted in, everybody wanted to write. The first person was to come on board was Paul Watson. Mm. I could have had 400 writers. I'm not kidding. But in reality, I had, there's 43 writers, uh, people like uh, Elizabeth May and and um, Bob's brother Don. And, and, you know, many of these people have written books, and they're excellent writers. So it, it was it was truly a joy, um, and uh, so I, I created this arc. I, I found these people. Uh, everybody was on board. I had to limit their words down to a certain size to get uh, it, them all in and to and to get it in story form. But there's great stories. There's stories in there about um, you know Bob in front of the harpoon, the the the, the classic story of. Uh, the very beginning of, of really environmental activism. Bob was in the forefront. He was the founder of Greenpeace. Canadians don't understand, you know, that we started uh, the Canadian, the, like environmental activism. Uh, we should be so proud of mm -hmm. ourselves. This is a, 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 it's an amazing story. 
And that that particular chapter is in there, and it's done with passion. Uh, there's a story of Bob standing in front of the icebreakers to try to make a point to show that uh, what the slaughter was like of, of, the, of the seals and, and how Canada was continuing to allow this to happen. Um, but there's personal stories, uh, how we met. Um, there's uh, his, his children are all brilliant writers as well, and they're in there and telling their uh, personal stories. Uh, there's the story of, uh, you know, his his um, death. There's the story of uh, wh- why the boat became the Rainbow Warrior, um, and uh, you know it's um, it's, a, it's a story of friends and a story of adventure. When I knew I was going to be speaking with you, Bobby, I, it struck me that in the '60s and '70s there were some who were hell bent on, on on destroying this planet, but here we are today, and we're facing all sorts of of new threats to this planet and we needed bob in the 60s and 70s but we really need him now oh we absolutely do uh kevin and that's also one of the reasons that i decided to to uh, write this book was um you know when i he was so, you knew him so mm-hmm. many of uh, people in toronto Knew, knew him and loved him. And if you ever met him, you never forgot him. But the next generation, I would ask, you know, tell them of my story, which is also kind of interesting. And people would uh, go Greenpeace. They didn't know Bob Hunter. They didn't know. And I'm going, my God, you know, like this was just 50 years ago and people don't know their history. Uh, and I thought, if there's ever a time to bring like his voice back, uh, it's now. Uh, people will look him up and see. And the message is, anybody can help. Anybody can do anything. Just do it. Bob was a, you know, he came from a, a, a very humble background. His mother was a, you know, raised him as a, a single mom, um, and, and they were poor. Uh, he was not highly educated. But Bob, God, he wrote, you know, 14 books. Um, he was awarded so many prizes for, you know, his magazine writing and his books, and and uh, he was a media, I think, genius, um, and he could just wing it and and do beautiful speeches and and and, and great media, um, and so he inspired people. Um, he did it with a laugh. If you ever talked to him, you, you couldn't get a, you know, a minute. And into a conversation without a laugh, uh, there was a joy about him. Um, so he he was a, a deep, profound thinker, a, a true Canadian hero. And I think that that's what we need right now. We need to have a, a sense that there are heroes and we can be one of those heroes. Just do something. Yeah, Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. It's uh, wonderful that you have brought him back to uh, front of mind for us. Mr. Mindbomb, Eco Hero, and Greenpeace co-founder Bob Hunter, A Life in Stories, will be uh, available April the 18th. You can pre-order right now uh, at uh, Rocky Mountain Books at rmbooks.com. Search for Mr. Mindbomb. You can also uh, pre-order on Amazon. His wife, Bobby Hunter, who also happens to be a co-founder of Greenpeace, has been my guest. Thanks so much for this, Bobby. Oh. You're absolutely welcome, and thank you.
After the break, the first three-year cruise around the world. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back. I'm Ann Romer. Next on the feed, Shaliza Bacchus takes us on the new three-year voyage around the world. The time when winter turns to spring isn't always the nicest, and I feel like this is the time of year where we all need a bit of change of scenery. So how would you feel about being on a cruise for three years? Life at Sea Cruises announced that they are accepting reservations for the world's first and only three-year world cruise. The voyage will cover over 130,000 miles, visiting 375 ports across 135 countries and seven continents. Okay, let me catch my breath. And joining me now to tell us all about this cruise is Irina Strombitsky, Director of Sales and Marketing at Life at Sea Cruises. How are you, Irina? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. And this is definitely unheard of. So why don't you tell our listeners all about this three-year cruise? Well, the reason you've never heard of it is because this is the first of its kind. Uh, A three-year adventure, we call it the ultimate bucket list trip, where we're giving you three years to see it all. It's a new concept. We're the first ones to do it, and it's, it's just hit the market by storm. Yes, it definitely is. Now, before we get into specifics and pricing, how can somebody go about booking this? Absolutely. They have to go to www.lifeatseacruises, just like it's spelled, lifeatseacruises.com. On the right-hand side on the top, there'll be a Reserve Now button, and you can see what's available. Um, What's booked is in red, and more than half is already booked, and the green ones are still available. And then you can book your cabin and reserve your rate with a $5,000 payment. So that's all all you have to pay is just the $5,000 to book your rate and... We'll, we'll then put you into our resident portal. Will we'll you be able to mix and mingle with the other residents that have reserved? So it's it's an experience. We're giving you a pre-cruise experience where you really get to be part of the community even before we take off. And this is an all-inclusive cruise, correct? Absolutely. So it's very inclusive. So there are some, it includes your food, um, some alcohol, your gratuity, your um, housekeeping, your laundry, your maintenance. Um, your port fees, your pod shipping that we provide you with a pod so your belongings can ship, can go on the cruise with you. So it's mm-hmm. a, it's an entertainment activity. So there's some things that are extra, such as the spa and salon, you know, hair treatments, nails treatments, th- those are additional. And then off onshore excursions, those are extra as well. But everything else is included. Wow, that all sounds so insane. And what are the rooms like? Do they all look the same or are there different tiers? There's numerous different kinds. We have uh, inside suites um, on, on different decks. We also have outside suites with a smaller window and a larger window, and then we have balcony suites as well. So a nice variety, six different types uh, for you to pick from. All right, now let's get into the costing. What is it going to cost if somebody wants to be on this boat for three years? Well, it depends. So the pricing is based on double occupancy. So the price keeps going up. So we've already had one price increase and we're going to have another one any minute now. So right now, the least expensive for a couple would be um, 99000 for the three years each. So that would be about 33000 a year for, for two people to be in a cabin. And then if you're a solo traveler, it's 167 for three years. 
So it comes out to be about 55000 And then it goes up from there um, just slightly. The balconies are, you know, are more expensive, but it's still incredibly affordable where, you know, I'm here in South Florida. You can't, you can't even live on outside uh, in your car for 30000 a year. It's, it's still very reasonably priced. And all of the cabins are nice. This is the ultimate bucket list adventure. So we kind of put this together and then joined with Murray Cruises and brought this to the market. That sounds amazing. And I think you phrased it perfectly. It really is the ultimate bucket list experience for sure. And Irina, how many spaces are left? And can you remind our listeners once again where they can go for more information? Absolutely. So we're about two thirds sold out, but there's still over 100 um, cabins that are left. We're getting reservations every day, but there's still some for those that um, want to book. Uh, visit www.lifeatseatcruises.com. Lifeatseatcruises.com. And we hope you join us on this amazing bucket list adventure. Sounds fabulous. Irina Strambitsky, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. Have a fantastic day. If you missed any part of the feed, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you so much for listening.